1: Bear Grills, no, Caveman, Hunk of Spunk, Gorgeous Creature, Wellness Guy. <laughs> yeah, he's just an all round divine human being. Brett Hill. Yeah, oh, under- thank you. <laughs> <laughs> We've been dying for this moment, Dr. Brett Hill, to get you on our beautiful Up for a Chat podcast. So, welcome to the show, you gorgeous creature.
0: Thanks for having me on. So much fun.
1: <laughs> Tell us where you are right this moment and who you're
0: with. <laughs> well, we are, we're sitting in McDonald's right now. We spent last night in a tent down at Christie's Beach because, you know, that's what we do. So I woke up in a tent this morning, woke up, made myself some paleo pancakes and, uh, and then we went searching for Wi-Fi. And so, uh, so we managed to find ourselves at McDonald's at Christie's Beach. So we're sitting in the corner of McDonald's for our Up For A Chat podcast. How's that? I
2: love it. I absolutely love it. But you know what? Um, when I travel and I can't find Wi-Fi, I know that McDonald's will have Wi-Fi. So I go and order a $2 coffee and I sit and use their Wi-Fi. It's brilliant. It really is. I haven't done it for quite a few years because I feel rather guilty that I just buy a $2 coffee and then I don't drink it. Um, but... I'm with you, Brett. I'm with you. You, you sure. do what you've got to do in order to get Wi-Fi.
0: <laughs> I, I, I felt a bit dirty because I had to sign up for the account. I had, I had to sign up for an account at McDonald's to get more oh. than 30 minutes of Wi-Fi because I know you girls like to talk. So I thought, well, 30 minutes is just not going to be enough. So, uh, so I actually had to sign up. So I know that I'll be getting all their awesome newsletters now.
1: <laughs> and, and you're going to need to go and have a shower because that smell, that's going
0: to be... <laughs> <laughs> you that me or McDonald's, Karen? <laughs>
1: Just ready for our beautiful listeners. I know a lot of them listen to you already on, on the Wellness Guys show. Can you give us a little bit of background as to who you are and how you came to being the Dr. Brett Hill?
0: <laughs> well, that could be a long story, um, but the, the short story is I guess that um, I was someone who grew up um, always wanting to help people, I always wanted to do something in health, even from a really young age. So I've got a drawing at home that my mum kept from when I was in year three. And I drew a little picture of myself. I was going to be a physiotherapist. That was where I was at, even at year three. So I always wanted to do something in health and help people. Um, I always loved nature. I always loved the outdoors. And so, um, you know, growing up, I did cubs and scouts and ventures. I loved camping. I loved fishing. I loved doing all that kind of stuff. And so, so I loved nature. And so when I grew up and, and started thinking about what I wanted to do as a career, then taking a more natural approach to health just made heaps of sense to me. Um, and so that's what led me towards chiropractic. Um, and so as I, as I started getting chiropractic, you know, I noticed changes in my health that, you know, even though I never thought of myself as a particularly sick kid, um, I kind of always was sick. I, you know, I wasn't in hospital, but I was on antibiotics probably about half a dozen times a year. I was always getting coughs and colds and infection. Um, I always had trouble sleeping. I was, I was a really bad sleeper and I was quite asthmatic. And so I started getting chiropractic um, and I noticed some great changes. You know, my health improved dramatically, you know, to the point where, you know, all of a sudden I was sleeping wherever and whenever I wanted. You know, I haven't had any form of antibiotic. In fact, aside from something the dentist gave me one time, I haven't had any form of medication since that day. Um, And my sleep improved dramatically to, you know, to the point where going from spending two two to three hours a night trying to get to sleep, I could sort of sleep, wherever and whenever I wanted. So that led me into chiropractic. Um, and then the more I learned about chiropractic, the more I met these met these amazing chiropractors and went to seminars and learned more about health and well-being, then the more I got inspired to try and want to share those messages with the rest of the world too. You know, I, I found I was really privileged as a chiropractor to meet these amazing people and to go to seminars and to hear amazing information. Um, but I felt like it just, you know, it was being shared with the practitioners but it wasn't really getting out to the public. Um, so that then led me to wanting to spread that information more widely. You know, I started running columns in a local newspaper in Adelaide. Um, that led me to be doing some radio stuff, uh, which led me to write a book, which led me to start a podcast show, um, and it kind of all just snowballed from there.
1: You're pretty gorgeous, I have to say. And, and I want to ask you, from a personal level, do you feel like the Wellness Guys has been an incredible platform for you to continue the message?
0: Oh, the Wellness Guys is, it's the coolest platform. I mean, the thing I love about the Wellness Guys is that we really had no idea what we were doing when we started. You know, I literally, you know, a week before we recorded our first podcast, I literally didn't know what a podcast was. So, you know, Lawrence and I had been chatting together on Skype, Lawrence had been chatting with Damien on Skype, and, and one day Lawrence said, we should record a podcast. And I had no idea what it was. And so he said, well, you, you know, you download them onto iTunes. I said, well, what's iTunes? So I didn't, I didn't have iTunes, so I had to go and get iTunes and, and learn all about this podcasting. And, you know, really the three of us got together. We recorded that first episode, which we never intended on going into air. We were just going to do a trial run and, and see how it sounded. And we got to the end of our half hour and thought, Oh, that sounded all right. Let's just put it online and see what happens. And from there to be, you know, within four months, be the number one health podcast in Australia uh, was phenomenal. Um, and, you know, the, the beauty of the platform, I think, is the people who listen. You know, it's been phenomenal to see the journey of people who have listened into the Wellness Guys, who've then taken action, who've made a difference in their communities who've gone on to careers in health and wellness who have started their own podcast um that's been i think the biggest strength of the the wellness guys is the people who listen in um and what they've done with you know the the message we've been able to spread is that they've just taken it and run with it and and made it something bigger than we could have ever possibly imagined
1: what's been your greatest learning from the, the the wellness couch and the wellness guys what's been your biggest learning
0: Oh, that's such a good question.
1: Um,
0: I mean, there's so many. There's so many different things. I mean, I learn from Lawrence and Damien every week, um, let alone all of the guests that we get on. Um, but I think probably the, probably the biggest learning from doing the Wellness Guys and the Wellness Couch is that there's just, there's no, there's no one right way of doing things. You know, that, that everyone's so different. And there are these amazing people. You know, I remember doing an interview we did with a guy called Rich Roll, who's a vegan um, marathon runner. And... Uh, he's amazing and he, he, he's an amazing athlete he performs amazingly well um and you know and he's so vibrant and so healthy he's you know very muscly and and he's doing great doing a vegan lifestyle and, and it just makes you sit up and go oh that's all right you know not everyone's the same not everyone needs to do the same there's lots of different ways to skin the cat and that's totally okay
3: skinning cats i'm not so sure about that <laughs> <laughs>
0: Just for you, Karen.
1: (laughs) Tell us um, a little bit about your paleolithic lifestyle and your barefoot running. Tell us a little bit about how and why that's so important to
3: you.
0: Yeah, well, I think really that just all stems from my philosophy, you know, which really started as my chiropractic philosophy, you know, and one of the core tenets of our chiropractic philosophy is that your body needs no help, just no interference, you know, and I love that saying, you know, I love that as a philosophy. It's the idea that, you know, our bodies evolved over millions and millions of years to be perfectly suited to the environment we were in, um, and so you know, we don't need to fix our bodies. We don't need to do anything to make them healthy again. We just need to return them to that natural state because health is actually a natural state. It's not something that we need to actively go out and create. If we can just remove the interference, if we can just give our bodies what it naturally needs and remove the things that it that it doesn't naturally need, then our body's natural state is to be healthy. So. For me, that led me to start thinking. About, well, you know, what is our body's natural state? What is a natural state for a human being? You know, what? What did we evolve to require? And so, you know, that led me to start looking back at, I guess, you know, the anthropological records and say, well, you know, what were humans eating over the period of our evolution? You know, we know that, you know, our genes have changed very little in the last hundred thousand years. Uh, you know, we also know that our epigenome has changed, and our uh, microbiome has changed. So, you know, there's some new information coming out there in that regard, but you know, genetically we've changed very little in the last 100,000 years. And so looking at what we've been eating historically just made a whole lot of sense to me. You know, in, in the same way, we didn't evolve wearing, you know, Asics Tiano runners. You know, we, we didn't evolve with built-up structured shoes with arch support and stabilisation and forefoot control and, you know, an inch heel at the back of the runner. That's just not what we evolved running in. You know, Our natural state is to run barefoot, is to run without any assistance. And so it made sense. Me that you know, our whole anatomy of our body had evolved in a way that was to really be suited to that, and that that would be the ideal way for us to move and to run. Um, so, really, you know, everything I do comes from that core philosophy. You know, that, that flows through literally into the way I raise my kids, the way I shop, the way I exercise, the way I, you know, the way I work. Everything I do stems from that core philosophy.
2: And I know the way well, I, I don't know the way you raise your kids, but I have had dinner with you and your children. And, um, <laughs> And I, I, I remember the dinner, you know, we all sat around the table together and, and those children were as engaged with the conversation. And they're only young, your babies, aren't they? How old are they? Yeah,
0: they're five and seven now, so they were probably four And six, I think, when you come over, Cindy.
2: Yeah, they were, and they were so engaged in the conversation. And we talked, we actually talked about food. And and I wanted to try, um, so Brett had made these gelatin, um, gummy bears, I guess they were, and made yeah. different tu- flavoured ones as a result of the juice that he used or the fruit that he used. And um, yeah. so the kids were only allowed one. Oh, <laughs> and I'm like, well, Brad, I want to try every single one of them, and I was feeling really guilty because kids are only allowed one, and I wanted to try every single coloured one. <laughs> She's just a big kid at
0: heart, actually. is you're making me sound like such a hard taskmaster.
1: <laughs> I've often, I've often looked at you, and you know, you are a picture of health. You know, you're tall, you stand up straight, you've got broad shoulders, Gorgeous. you are, quite, <laughs> yes, you are quite spunky. Um. I've often looked at you and thought, what does is, what is a normal day look like for you in terms of food? Because if, I dare say it's the direct opposite of mine, but I'm curious <laughs> as to what that, like, what does it look like for you and what is your normal, like, even for exercise and all that, like, what is a normal? Rituals. What are the things you do
0: on a daily yeah. basis?
3: Yeah, what, what do
1: you mean Go on, give it to yeah.
0: it. Well, you know, it's such an interesting question because you know I look at someone like uh, like Lawrence, who I do my podcast show with, and he, yeah, my co-host and the wellness guys. He's so ritualistic, he's so structured and so organised. And I often think, yeah, that'd be great to be so structured and organised. I bet he's so productive. I bet he does so much stuff, and he and he does. Um, and I'm kind of the exact opposite of that. So I'm I'm almost like no two days are the same for me. I'm I'm very um I guess intuitive in how I do things. So. For me, you know, I get up in the morning, probably the one thing that I do do, or the two things that I probably do do consistently. Number one is I generally sleep in as long as I can get away with. Um, I like my sleep and so I get up like as late as I possibly can. That's generally my thing. Um, and the second thing I generally always do is I have like a 10 minute shower in the morning. I just like being in the shower in the morning and just chilling out and relaxing and unwinding and that. And that for me is a great way to start the day. Um, but honestly, my day going on from there is like different every day. You know, sometimes I'll eat breakfast, sometimes I won't. Um, sometimes I'll go to CrossFit, sometimes I won't exercise at all. Um, you know, sometimes I won't eat my first meal until three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, you know, I, I adjust, you know, five days a week, uh, but they're, they're three hour, four hour adjusting shifts and sometimes they're in the morning, sometimes they're in the afternoon. Um, you know between that I'm you know doing a variety of things whether that's you know recording podcasts whether that's doing interviews whether that's um, checking all my emails you know doing administrative stuff for the practice whether that's uh, writing books Um, you know so there's and once again sometimes I'll do that in the morning if I'm up and feeling good other days I'll you know have a quiet morning and then work late to the night until midnight Um, so I'm, I'm really not structured at all in that regard in terms of what's a a typical day for me. But I guess, you know, if you, if you had to sort of generalise, I'd say, you know, most days I do something active, you know, whether that's doing CrossFit, whether that's going for a hike, whether that's hiking or snorkelling with the family, um, you know, most days I'll do something active. Um, most days I would say I eat two meals rather than three. So often that is, you know, a late breakfast at like 10 or 11 o'clock uh, and then dinner. Um, and, and between that, yeah, is, you know, most days involve, um, a shift of adjusting and seeing quickly my chiropractic practice, and then you know, probably a similar sort of period of time working on the sort of more entrepreneurial side of me, whether that's podcasts, writing books, sharing information, creating programs, doing some wellness coaching, those sort of things. Right, well,
3: you knew
1: the question was going to come. <laughs> <laughs> She as ask? she leans in nice and tight, <laughs> <laughs> we've been through quite a few personal things together. I want yeah. you to tell us if you're willing to share the vulnerability yeah. and the, the share, you know, the, the trauma, the pain, the challenges that you went through uh, in your marriage as far okay. as the, the, the completion of that first relationship. And then yeah. I want to walk into mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. that beautiful thing that occurs when someone is committed to working on themselves through something like that, and the amazingness yeah. that occurs at the other end of that. So just, just walk <laughs> <on
0: through>. <laughs> <laughs> well, just, All right. All right. We're getting personal now. All right. So um, I guess starting with the marriage, you know, I was. Uh, I was with uh, my ex-partner Beck for thirteen years. Um, we were married for seven years. Um, have two beautiful children, as you mentioned before. Um, and um, but yeah, that that all ended, um, I guess, quite suddenly for me. You know, it was quite unexpected for me. Um, I I, you know, I spoke about this at the summit. I remember coming home from indoor cricket. It was you know, I'd been playing indoor cricket. With my mates we'd won a grand final. I was feeling great, um, and just walking inside and, and having Beck say to me. I need to talk to you about something Um, and you know as as that conversation you sort of you know it was obvious even from just the way she said it from her posture the way she was sitting that something just wasn't good you know something wasn't right Um, and she said you know I it's over you know I I don't want to be in this relationship anymore and um, I just remember being in in a state of shock I mean Tim you'll probably remember this as well as anyone because you were one of my closest confidants in that time and, and were just an amazing support to me but I just had no idea it was coming and I, had, I couldn't fathom the fact that it had happened, to be honest. I felt it was just in such shock um, that it had happened that I, I kind of didn't know where to go next. And, uh, you know, for me, you know, I've always very much been around, based around family. A you know, family's always been such an important part of my life and, and such an important you know, goal for me and such an important part of my whole vision and purpose was creating a life to raise a beautiful family. Um, so when, you know, at the time, I, I certainly felt like that had been taken away from me um, and I didn't know what to do about it. You know, I didn't, I didn't know where to go next. I, I lost a lot of my drive to do all of those things that I've been doing. You know, all those things I talk about doing in terms of books and podcasts and all those things had always been about creating a life for my family and about creating a legacy for my family. You know, It had always been about wanting to create a world where my that, my, that I would be proud to have my kids grow up in. Um, and influencing the world that my kids are going to grow up in, uh, because I, you know, because my idea of that family was around that nuclear family, you know, wife, husband, two kids. That was, you know, the white picket fence, the whole works. You know, I had, I had a very um, a clear vision of what a family looked like to me at that time. So I did. I felt like that had been taken away from me. You know, I, I really wasn't sure what to do. I, I wasn't sure whether I wanted to be a chiropractor anymore. I wasn't sure whether I wanted to do the wellness guys anymore. Um, I really just wasn't sure of, of anything. Um, and so, yeah, for me, that definitely led into a massive period of introspection, you know, of, of analysing what happened and why it happened and, um, you know, I delved into that pretty quickly and pretty deeply, um, which in hindsight, I'm not sure if that was the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. Um, you know, I, I beat myself up pretty badly about that as, as I was going through that process of, you know, analysing what had happened and what had gone wrong and, you know, what my role it was in that. Um, you know, I certainly took, full responsibility for my part in what happened and, and probably, to be honest, in the early days, took full responsibility for everyone's part in what happened. Um, and, yeah, I, I guess, you know, I've, I I realised at some stage that, you know, that that wasn't going to um, change, you know, that I was going to have to move <laughs> forwards. Um, and so I guess for me that was, that was really the only option was to move forwards. You know, I wasn't, you know, I, I, I could either sort of sit around and... And mope about it and feel bad about myself and, and sort of, I guess, play the victim around that where I could decide that I wanted to move forwards and, and try and um, do better, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I delved into so much stuff, you know, uh, you know, I did a lot of work on, you know, some of Byron Katie's work, which is fantastic, the work, um, which is wonderful. You know, I was reading books, so I was listening to audios, I was listening to up like, for chat, that was, that was definitely one of my, uh, my favourites. You girls were like my pseudo-girlfriends for a while there. I would, um, you know, I was, kind of, I was kind of missing that sort of connection and those conversations and so I realised that, you know, I could listen in to my girlfriends on up for a chat and get some of those, you know, some of that philosophy and some of that connection, some of that conversation, which was fabulous. Um, and so, yeah, so I guess gradually I just sort of started working on and working through all of those issues that have been brought up by the, by the breakup of that relationship, you know, obviously, you know, self-esteem was probably a massive one of those that, that took a, a huge battering. Um, just you know, because of that process, um, and and maybe it was an issue before that happened. I would, I would suggest. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's been a it's been a journey over the last you know three years, three and a bit years um, of really just doing a lot of self-work. I guess uh, really trying to work on um, finding myself again as much as anything. Yeah.
3: What,
1: what, what would your advice to men out there going through a breaker? Because we could give everybody advice from a female's perspective. But yep. what would be your greatest advice to men going through heartache or transition or challenges right now? What would be your biggest thing that you could impact them with?
0: Uh, I would say the, the number one thing without a doubt would be to be kind to yourself. Um, you know, it's, it's so easy to just... Uh, beat yourself up. You know, I think one of the things I said at the summit was that, you know, there was, there was a lot of things that were, you know, I guess pointed out to me in that time and a lot of things that became clear to me in that time and a lot of things that were said to me in that time. But by far the worst things that were done to me were done to be me by myself. Um, you know, I was beating myself up really badly. Um, you know, I was saying horrible things about myself. Uh, um, and so... You know, I think, I think that's true for most people is that, the, you know, the, the worst things that happen are the things that you do to yourself. So I think for men, being kind to yourself is really important. Um, I would also say that being honest with yourself is really important. You know, so so really, you know, taking on board the criticism that comes, taking on board the feedback that comes and being really honest about it. Um, and there's, there's two sides to that. You know, one side is that you need to be able to sort of man up and accept your responsibility in what happens. Um, and accept that you're not perfect and that that's okay. Um, and so you have to really take responsibility for the things that you've done wrong and, and set about working on that and, and finding out why you did that and how you can do that better. Um, but at the same time, the, the other half of the honesty is also understanding that there's two sides, you know, there's two, there's two people in a relationship. And so you can't take 100% responsibility. You know, you only have a, ever have 50% responsibility for that relationship and for what happened. So understanding, you know, spending some time figuring out. What's your responsibility, and what someone else's was someone else's responsibility, um, so that you're not just totally beating yourself up and blaming yourself for everything either. Um, so I think, I think being kind to yourself and being honest with yourself are probably the two most important things.
1: And then. And then, when you should see her face, you should see her face. It's just pure mischief. Then, and then, what happens when the heart expands and the heart is open and willing to be again? What walks into one's life?
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's, It's true. I mean, it's. I think I think as much as anything it, it's when you when you do do that work um and you do i guess work on on loving yourself really is what it is it, is is working on being kind to yourself and then loving yourself um it enables you to raise your self-worth um and so you know certainly my experience has been that that when my self-worth has you know become high you know when I feel like when it's gotten back to perhaps where it was beforehand or, or perhaps even higher than it was beforehand because of the work I've done is that it, it was literally almost the moment that that happened, the moment I made, I almost feel like I made that decision that I was worth it, um, was that someone walked into my life and, and just, you know, the most perfect person who who I'd actually known for four years um, and had, you know, had met, had spoken to, had had great conversations with previously, had never thought that it could possibly be anything more than that. Um, yeah the amazing girl walked into my life, and it was just perfect you know the the perfect person at the perfect time um for me um and uh yeah but but I definitely think it was you know and someone who had been through a lot herself um and so you know had done a lot of the same sort of work you know it was very much the case that we'd both done similar sort of work, and that was honestly that was what we bonded over at first, even before we were um you know romantically involved was bonding over some of that self work that we've done um, and some of that growth that we've been through and and some of that, I guess, self-love that we've developed. Um, And so I think when you do get yourself into that state of self-love and self-worth, you know, that's when you're then in a position to have a fantastic relationship and I'm I'm very lucky to have found one of those.
1: Are you romantic, Brett?
0: Am I romantic?
1: Yes. Can a and bare feet, be romantic. We're
3: interested.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty soft, soppy romantic, actually. Like, I, I think people think of me as a tough guy and a paleo guy and a crossfitter and a barefooter and, and think that I'm a, you know, rugged bloke who just kind of grunts and doesn't communicate. But, but I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely not that. Like, I, I've always been a very sensitive person, a very emotional person. Um, I think, a romantic person. Yeah. Um, Steph's agreeing next to me, Definitely. so apparently i going get a tip <laughs> um, And so, um, yeah, and, and, you know, the funny thing is that, that probably one of the biggest things that came out of me, the, the self-love and the self-worth stuff that I'd been doing was me acknowledging that, that I'm a really sensitive guy and an emotional guy and that that's okay. Um, you know, I think for guys, we, we're told from a really young age that's not okay. You know, we're told that we have to man up and we have to be tough and that we have to get over it and that we have to stop crying and we have to, you know, stop being so soft. You know, there's a whole bunch of other words I could throw in there that are probably not appropriate for, uh, for a chat show. Um, but, uh, you know, but we're told that. And, and I think one of the biggest realisations for me was that, that it's okay to be a sensitive guy, that it's okay to be an emotional guy. You know, I, I kind of look back at my life and realize that that's always been me and that's kind of always always been me when I've been at my best. You know, I, I was saying to someone just the other day, you know, growing up I was always that kind of friend zone guy who the girls would all come to when they needed to chat with someone because I was like the good friend who who could communicate and who could talk to people. And so I think part of what I've been through recently is realizing that, that that's actually one of my real strengths and then that's something that's a, It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And that I should play to that strength more rather than trying to hide it. You know, I should just be myself and be that, you know, uh, I guess, yeah, more sensitive, more emotional, sometimes romantic guy. Um, And that's totally okay.
3: And and what do you
1: love about, I mean, we could say Steph because we all adore her as well. And (laughs) and we think she's pretty extraordinary And the way you two have connected. We were just talking before the show is like, oh my gosh, magic. What is it about <laughs> Steph or as a woman, what is it in women that you respect the most that you love, that you look to from a male's perspective? What is it that you want in a woman?
0: Well, yeah, I mean there's there's lots of things is probably the first answer. I think the, the first thing that certainly drew me towards Steph uh, was definitely her smile. Um, she just has an amazing smile that just lights up a room and, and that Positive energy that love that emanates from that is just—it's uh, quite incredible. It's—it's it's amazing. Um, but I think definitely for us, you know, we first connected over just some really long conversations, well before we were, you know, romantically involved. And it was just—it was a mind thing. It, it was—it was a positive mindset. It was a, um, you know, someone who was wanting to learn and to grow and to evolve and to work on themselves and to, um, to become a better version of themselves and to that passion and want to use it to change the world you know I think those are the things that just lit me up and then got me very excited and very passionate and feeling very inspired
3: a
1: lot of women don't have a lot of self-respect a lot of women don't think that they're good enough a lot of women don't think that they're I don't know they have these self-sabotaging beliefs that they're not the right thing, they're not good at whatever it is. Yeah. And they say that they're fat or that they're not, you know, this, that and the other. I'd love you to say from a male's perspective how much that grates you or upsets you or is it something that, you know, frustrates you as a man looking at women that do that? What does it feel like? Yeah.
0: Do you know what? That's a really challenging thing as a man. You know, as a man, what we want to do is make our partner smile. You know, I mean, really, the, the one of the biggest drives a man has is to make their partner happy, is to make their partner smile, is to make their partner feel loved and make their partner feel worthy. I mean, that's really, I think, uh, you know, to work caveman, that, that's, a, that's a primal instinct, I think. Um, and so that's all we want to do as guys, you know, and I guess you know we see our partners differently to the way our partners see themselves and that can be frustrating sometimes so you know all we want is for our partners to see the amazing person that we see when we look at them um and so i do think sometimes when that's um when that's rejected you know when that's pushed away because because that's how it feels as a guy it feels like we've been told we've been rejected and we've been told that we're wrong um and guys don't deal with that very well we're not very good at being told that we're wrong and so um yeah i, I think you know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing and it's a really um, attractive thing for a woman to be able to take a compliment um, and, and just own it. Um, and I know that's not an easy thing to do for, for many guys and girls is to take a compliment and just own it. But I do think it's something that um, we can practice doing um, and get better at doing the more we do it. And, and the more we take it and own it, I think the more it does boost our self-esteem and, and allow us to see in ourselves what others see in us. Um, Because I think that's probably the most important thing for those women to realise is that the way they see themselves isn't the truth. It's just their perspective, you know, and there are lots of different perspectives around that. And so, you know, their perspective around themselves is no more accurate than everyone else's perspectives around themselves. Um, And so when people are telling you how amazing you are and how beautiful you are and how big a heart you have and how, you know, how generous you are or, or, you know, whatever the compliments are, you know, those are genuine compliments. That, that's someone's genuine perspective about you. So take it on board. Be grateful for it.
2: Yeah, say thank you. You know, a lot of people go, oh, no, 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 I'm not like that. Just say thank you, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, yeah, Brett, I, I see a lot of, um, because, I, I, you know, I swim with a group of young people um, and I, I watch these young people going through relationships and, and one in particular, I'm thinking about. And she's vivacious. She's intelligent. She's um, she's got it all going for her. Great, great figure. Um, just everything going for her. And yet, she sees um, herself as as the exact opposite.
3: Yeah.
2: And I just I just try and say to her, you know. That's not you, not what I see. That This is my perspective of what I'm watching at. And that, I think, is why she's not keeping with these relationships um, very long. So, I, look, I'm going to make sure that she listens to this because I think this would be really good for her to listen to because I, I think often we don't um, listen to a man who has such clarity around um, relationships and, and things like that. So um, I think... I think
0: for her, then the you know the sort of things that, that I worked on would be really useful. So, you know, I I consciously worked on um, on my self-love. You know, I I realized that my self-love and my self-worth wasn't where it should be, and so I set about doing things to, to build that. And it is, it's it is like a muscle. It's it's something you can consciously work on. And so, you know, I did things like I started I started a gratitude journal. And each day in my gratitude journal, instead of just writing three things I was grateful for, which is what I've been doing previously. I started writing three things I was grateful for. I started writing three things that were my wins for the day, so three things I'd su- su- successfully done that day and succeeded at. And then I started writing three things that I loved about myself that day. Um, and, you know, that's a challenging one at first. That, that, that will feel uncomfortable for lots of people is to sit down and write three things that you love about yourself. Because we, in many ways we're taught not to. You know, we're taught that that's, you know, egotistical, that that's narcissistic, that that's, you know, whatever whatever labels people want to throw at that. Um, but it's a really powerful thing to do and to sit down and spend each day, spend a little bit of time consciously thinking about what you love about yourself is a really powerful thing to do. And then I think the other thing that I really consciously started to do was just to sit back and ask myself what I wanted. Um, because, you know, as a parent with two kids, you know, running a practice, doing, you know, several different jobs at once, you know, it's really easy to get caught up in. Um, you know what you want to, what you're doing for everyone else. You know, I think at one stage I was doing all of that. I was president of the Chiropractic Association in South Australia. I was president of my cricket club. I was, you know, on a working party setting up a new Chiropractic College. I was doing so much for so many people, um, and and not doing anything for myself. Um, and I think that's a really big part of the self-worth and the self-love as well is taking some time to do stuff for yourself. So, you know, one of the things I did was I went and bought a motorbike. You know, which is, you know total midlife crisis you know with late 30s going and buying a motorbike but I'd always wanted one I'd wanted one for ages and it was just something that I wanted and I wanted to do and I just decided one day well if I'm going to be loving myself if I've got enough self-worth then I'm worth it I'm just going to go and buy myself that toy that I've wanted for ages what, I felt so good about it like I just felt great and the first day I went for a ride on my motorbike and like the sun was out the wind was blowing and I was just it was just such a a time of such joy, um, and it, I felt so good about the fact that I'd given that to myself, um, and that I had absolutely no guilt about that. I didn't care that people were judging me, thinking I had a midlife crisis. You know, I, I just didn't care because because it was what I wanted to do for myself. Um, and I think you know, doing things like that, whether it's buying a motorbike, whether it's taking ten minutes for yourself in the morning to meditate or writing your gratitude journal, you know, whether it's just going into nature, whether you know, whatever it is that you love to do is saying to yourself, you know what, I'm worth that and I'm going to take the time and I'm going to prioritise that in my diary and I'm going to prioritise that in my schedule because I'm worth it. And, you know, the more you do that, the more it builds that self-love and that self-esteem and that's what will get you into the position where you feel worthy and then, as Cindy's saying, you can can make different decisions about relationships, about career, about, you know, all aspects of your life from that position of self-love because I think that really is what needs to come first.
1: You know, Brett, the, the, the key I think is to be able to maintain all of those gifts back to yourself, even when you are in a relationship as well. So that then being in a relationship, you don't relinquish all of those things in order to be with another person. Yeah. You all, you, you, you place yourself first in every relationship so that then you've got more to give. And I'm curious to hear about how your kids have responded to this huge shift and change in you, as no doubt they would have seen a difference in you with the way that you are with yourself. But also, you know, as things move on with new relationships and all those sorts of things, how have you, how have they seen a difference in you and how have you managed that?
0: Um, Yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, I I do feel like, um, in some ways, I feel guilty you know, that over the last three years um, that I haven't been, I guess, the best version of myself, um, you know, like I I know that I'm a good dad and I know that I've been a good dad. Um, but also, you know, when I look back over the last three years, I, I know I could have been better as well. Um, and certainly, you know, in terms of, I guess, uh, you know, my levels of stress during that time, my levels of presence during that time, uh, my levels of self-love during that time and, and what I was role modeling for my kids, you know, I, I look back at that. At times and think wow you know that I could have done better um and I think that's perfectly normal and that's perfectly natural you know the the key I guess is that I'm I'm not beating myself up about that now you know I've, I've I look at that and I think do you know what I'm not perfect and that's okay um and I'm you know I'm taking steps now to do to be better and to do better um because I think a big part of that for me and a big part of that Drive to change for me really was looking at what I was role modeling for my kids and what I was, what that was going to be teaching them um, about relationships, about life, about work-life balance, about you know what you know their careers, about you know all aspects. You know what I was teaching them and what I was role modeling for them. And so you know I think for them certainly you know as as I've done that and as I've grown and and had more self worth, and I think that's Definitely been a great experience for my kids. You know, I, I definitely think that they've seen that, and you know, they're I think that's allowed them to feel more at ease within themselves, um, which is the beautiful thing. Um, and so I think, I think they, they, I mean, you know, kids, kids just pick up on energy so much, you know, they pick up on your vibes, they pick up on your moods, they pick up on your emotions so much more than we ever possibly realize. I think, and so you know, I think those changes that have occurred in me have then. You know, filter onto probably everyone else in my life really in a in a positive way, um, which is the beautiful thing I think as Karen was saying is, is realising that in some ways being selfish is kind of the most selfless thing you can do, you know, that, that when you do actually focus on loving yourself first um, and and putting yourself and your own happiness as a priority, then that's when you're actually able to really be there, truly be there for other people and to give them the absolute best. And as a, particularly with kids, to, to role model to them, you know what that means to put yourself first, and you know to have self love and have self worth. I think that's probably for me the biggest gift that I've gotten out of this whole process is to feel like I'm role modeling that for my kids. Um, makes me immensely proud.
1: That's beautiful. And really, the key to that is recognizing that you actually matter. And you know, yeah. it just—it it always amazes me what we've got to go through as humans in terms of uh, a pain and suffering, and separation, and divorce, or bankruptcy, or you know, whatever it is. We tend to seem—we tend to have to go through these dramatic experiences just for us to get that wake-up call to say, actually, you first. And yeah. when you put you first, then everything else falls into place. But it's a tragedy that we've got to go through so much contrast before we can get that understanding and get that learning. Do you think you would have got to this place if you hadn't gone through the
0: separation? Such a good question. It's a question that's come up so much lately. And I think ultimately I think the answer is yes um, because I think like that's me. Like I'm I'm a questioner. You know, my, my primary question is always why. You know, I, so I, I question everything. I, I look into everything. I research everything. I overthink everything. And so I think probably ultimately yes. Uh, but I think that it probably would have taken a lot, lot longer. You know, I think that going through everything I've been through over the last three years, whether that was, you know, the separation, whether that was, you know, all the child custody stuff, whether that was, you know, issues I've had with the Chiropractic Registration Board and, and, you know, the the censorship that's going on at the moment for alternative health practitioners, um, you know, all of those issues I think have absolutely accelerated that process for me. They've forced me to really delve in and and ask lots of questions of myself and do lots more research and and try and discover myself really as much as anything but but also you know to learn about human psychology and to learn about um you know all the different emotions and and all those things so i I think I probably would have gotten there eventually i don't know if that's just you know me thinking highly of myself but but I think I would have and um but I think it probably would have taken longer without those stresses and challenges and so you know, I'm, I'm certainly able to look at all of those stresses and challenges now and be grateful for them and to see the role they played in me being where I am right now and to think, you know, I'm really grateful that that happened because it's totally worth it.
1: Brett, I want to ask you a, a professional question. From a chiropractic point of view, why is chiropractic um, so challenged Uh, in mainstream medicine and what is the chiropractic profession doing about
0: it? Well, good question. Um, I think the reason that we're so challenged is philosophy. So I think that the problem is that, well, the problem and the beauty is that chiropractic has a totally different philosophy to mainstream medicine. So mainstream medicine has a very mechanistic model and it's based around getting sick people well. And so, you know, we have a healthcare system that essentially, you know, I mean, we spend something like 2.7% of our healthcare budget on prevention, you know, and even that 2.7%, most of that is actually spent on early detection that we call prevention. It's not actually spent on prevention at all. So, you know, we don't really have a healthcare system. We have a sick care system. And from the point of view of a sick care system, chiropractic doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, if, if you were to see kids in your practice from birth, and you see them right throughout their lifetime and throughout that entire time they're totally asymptomatic and they don't have any symptoms, they don't have any labelled conditions, they don't have any you know, whatever. From a chiropractic perspective, that's a massive success story. You know, that's saying, Isn't this wonderful? This this person has been able to perform at their best, they've been able to thrive throughout their lifetime and, and that's a beautiful thing. That that's our goal and that's our aim. But when you look at that from a medical perspective and, and your aim is to get sick people well, then it doesn't make sense. You, know, you say, well, why would, this, why would this person be going to see the chiropractor? They're not sick. They don't need chiropractic. That, that seems fraudulent. That seems like you're taking advantage of them. That you're just taking their time and money uh, for no good reason because they're not sick anyway. Um, and so I think it's a, philosoph- a philosophical difference. And the problem is that I think, well, part of the problem is that chiropractors have, haven't been expressing their philosophy as strongly as they should be. You know, I think chiropractors have, in, in a large way, bowed to the pressure from the medical profession, from the uh, political powers that be at the moment. Um, and, and, you know, I'm just guilty of this as anyone. You know, I, I've gone through three years' worth of um, arguing backwards and forwards with APRA and the chiropractic board about, you know, stuff that I'd said in my books and stuff that I'd said on my website and stuff that I'd said, you know, on social media Um. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I got to the point where I was being threatened uh, by the Australian government with criminal prosecution for being what they said was in breach of the chiropractic uh, advertising guidelines uh, because they said that I was saying things that was outside of my scope of practice and they said that I was saying things that wasn't backed up by a significant enough proportion of evidence, you know, bearing in mind that the research says that medicine is, is about 18% of that is backed up by the highest level of meta- evidence. Um, so you know, chiropractors certainly aren't alone in in doing practices where the evidence hasn't yet caught up with um, where we'd like it to be. You know, obviously, medicine's about eighteen percent. They say chiropractic was about fifteen percent. You know, so we as chiropractors, because our philosophy is different, we get held to an entirely different standard of evidence, a st- uh, entirely different requirements of proof, um, because we're seen as being different and outside of the mainstream. Um, so. I don't think chiropractors are doing enough. You know, I think chiropractors as a general rule are quite apathetic about all of this. You know, there, there's a lot of nimbyism that goes on, you know, that it's like so long as it's not affecting me and my practice then I'm just going to keep going and I'll just keep my head down and hope it all blows over and goes away or, you know, hope that someone else takes it on and fights that fight. And I think there's a lot of that going on in alternative health everywhere at the moment. You know, there it's not just chiropractors. There's so many naturopaths, homeopaths, um, you know, integrative doctors who are getting immense amounts of pressure to stop doing what they're doing and saying what they're saying at the moment uh, by essentially by our government. Um, and I think there's, there's far too much apathy with the practitioners. You know, they need to band together and fight this because it's not okay. Uh, but I think also there's far too much apathy from the general public. You know, the, the studies show that, you know, about 80% of the Australian population seek some sort of alternative therapies. Now, I think if those people really knew what was at risk right now, if they really knew that they, you know, they could be, limited access to chiropractors and naturopaths and homeopaths and all those sort of things, if they knew that they were missing out on the wealth of information that those practitioners have got to share, um, then I think they'd be more up in arms than they are. Um, And so I think it's the responsibility of everyone who's listening to this podcast to start getting in touch with your local member of parliament and saying, hey, what's this I hear about, you know, these practitioners getting censored? What's going on with ARPRA at the moment and what are you going to do about it? Because I want to be able to see an alternative health practitioner and I want to be able to get advice that's different to the mainstream because, quite frankly, I think that not allowing advice that's different to the mainstream is unscientific. You know, people, they bang on about this evidence-based medicine and needing more science. But the first phase of scientific, the scientific theory is scientific hypothesis. You know, if people aren't allowed to have a different hypothesis, if we're not suggesting alternative ways of doing things, if we're not questioning the status quo then that's going to hinder scientific development. It's not going to advance it. No, the science isn't advanced by everyone just agreeing with what the current status quo is. You know, We need to be able to question that so that we can come up with new answers. We need to be able to challenge the currently accepted theories if we ever want to grow and advance as a society. So I think it's really important for practitioners and for the general public to start speaking up in defence of um, natural health um, and in defence of uh, alternative therapies and in defense of the ability of those people who are you know probably best qualified to speak about this you know you look at chiropractors you know five or six years worth of uni education um you know i've done a three-year health science degree i've done a three-year master's of chiropractic degree you know i've I've learnt about the scientific method i know how to read research papers i know how to interpret them you know i think i should be the person who is allowed to speak on it you know whereas at the moment what happens is practitioners are not allowed to speak on many of these issues um under threat of having your licence removed, um, yet, you know, yet someone in the general public who isn't a qualified practitioner doesn't have those same restrictions can say whatever they like, which I encourage them to do because I think that's great. You know, now the best practitioners can't do it, um, you know, I really encourage them to do that. But but I do think, you know, it's, it's a really dangerous and slippery slope we're on right now and it's really at a tipping point right now where people need to start standing up for their rights and start standing up for their yeah, you know, for freedom of expression and freedom of information when it comes to natural and alternative health.
2: It's actually a ridiculous model that we we now see that, you know, people with degrees like um yourself and Dr. Gary Fedke, who's a medical doctor, you know, a surgeon, yep. who's been gagged yep. by APRA, um, you've yep. been gagged by APRA, um, and yet yep. you you have these people that don't have the science and the degrees behind their names. Um, you know, talking about it, and a lot of it's just common sense when it comes to food, uh, I think. Yeah. It, we don't yeah. need, you know, it's nice to have science to back us up, but in the end it was we survived not because of science, we survived because of culture and tradition, and yeah. that culture is being taken away from us. And and basically we're, we're in this crazy model where I'm, I'm absolutely blown away by it. Like one week um, Gary's gagged from Dr. Gary yep. gag from talking any nutrition to his patients, to the public, any forum, yeah. anything. And I think a couple of some right? um, um, gynecologist, and um, I think he was a gynecologist, speaks up and, and, and tells um, our beautiful sh- chef, Pete Evans, um, that he should stick to cooking and have nothing to do with saying anything about health. <laughs> I just went... Yeah. Who's calling the kettle black? Do you know anything about nutrition? Yes. Have you done any nutritional, you know, study? Whereas I know that Gary has done that study. So yes. I, I get as frustrated as you, Brett. I just find this whole thing crazy. But, the, you know, the other thing is is that you're asking the general public to, you know, ring or write to their local member of parliament. The thing is that we've all got um, flags to fly. And yeah. what flag are we going to, you know, work on at the moment? And I know for me, um, my flag is 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 something different. It's about making our food safe. So yeah. do I fly that flag as well as do that as well as do that? And I think it's the profession has thousands of people in it. I don't see why yeah. they can't, as a profession. Um, get letters out and all the members have to do in their, their clinic is to sign it if they agree with it and then you send it off. I, I just think people are so, yeah. now that's what I'm finding. If I want anything done, I have to do everything except for the signature.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. Uh, but unfortunately there, there's so much, you know, the, the profession and the, particularly the political bodies that run the profession are under more pressure than anyone else. You know, they're under so much pressure from the government from these you know so-called friends of science in medicine these, these lobby groups who are um, who are wanting to protect their patch um, you know they're putting immense amounts of pressure so you know unfortunately many of these associations at the moment are running scared they don't, they don't want to stand up and say what they believe in uh, because they're worried that that's going to have you know create a whole bunch of negative publicity for them they're worried that's going to affect you know licensing issues they're worried that's going to affect private health insurance issues um, and so they, they're not speaking up and they're not running these campaigns you know I think they're going about it the wrong way personally and I've said this to them um, in that I think they're trying to run a political campaign you know they're trying to deal with this at a political level of you know lobbying politicians and speaking about it in the back rooms and trying to help them understand and. And trying to, you know, take a softly, softly approach of, you know, not ruffling any feathers, trying to stay on everyone's good side, trying to stay in the good books. But you know, at the end of the day, people who are ingrained in that medical profession are only going to be happy if you're fitting into their box. You know, if you, if what you're doing makes sense to their philosophy. Mm. I think what we're doing is totally the wrong way about it. I think we should be standing up very firmly and very publicly stating who we are and what we do and why we do it, stating that we are different and we're totally okay with that because that's what will get the public on board. And I think when the public are on board, that's what's going to make the political change. I don't think you make the political change in the back rooms and the boardrooms, which is what I think everyone's currently trying to do. And, and because they're trying to do that, they're scared to stand up and, and publicly run a campaign like that because they don't want to get all the politicians, they don't want to get all of the bureaucrats offside. Um, and I think they're going about it in completely the wrong way. Um, but what I'll say as well is, you know, I've spoken to um, members of the Nick Xenophon party. Um, and they are currently running a review, or, or they they were running just leading up to the election. They were running a review into APRA, um, and the review is predominantly looking at other issues issues of medical bullying and a variety of other issues in, in healthcare and in the running of APRA, which there are a lot of issues with it. Um, but I've I've been talking to them about including in that review what's going on with alternative health practitioners at the moment, um, and they've certainly said they'll consider adding that in. Um, and so once again, I would, what I would say to people is if they are if this is something you're passionate about. You know, get in contact with your local member of parliament, get in contact with the Nick Xenophon team. They're very approachable. They will listen to you if you contact them and if you send them a letter and it'll, you know, every time that happens, it'll give more weight to it and it doesn't need to be anything complicated. It can be just a simple message saying, I'm concerned about this issue. Um, you know, I've, I've, take, I've sat down with them and had a meeting and expressed the issue. You know, they, they, they understand what the issue is. So you don't really need to write them a long letter explaining the issue. You just need to let them know that it matters to you um, and I think that that will help them see that this is an important issue that people care about. You know, hopefully they'll see that it's an issue that might affect votes because I think that's what it comes down to ultimately is the more people contact them, the more they realise that it might affect votes. And, and at the end of the day, that's what's going to inspire them to take action, I think.
2: Hey, is he on Facebook,
0: Nick? I don't actually know. I don't actually know. The- I, okay. uh,
2: face, there he is. There he is. Nick Xenophon, politician. Um, so people can go to Nick Zenifoff, remembering his name is N-I-C-K-X-E-N. If you're listening to this and while you're listening to it, post on his Facebook page and tell him what you think. Uh, there, that's really easy, isn't it?
0: Perfect. That'd be yeah. great.
2: There we go. We hey, got hey, it. Hey, can I ask,
1: I don't know if you're allowed to say it, but you told me at the Wellness Summit what you actually said and what you got into trouble
0: yeah. for. Can you share
1: yeah. with us what those words were?
0: Well, there's a whole bunch of words that I've that, that I'm all that. I mean, I, I honestly, I got reported. I probably had about 30 or 40 different complaints against me uh, for various articles I'd written. You know, I'd written i written stuff about um, medical inventions. I'd written stuff about birthing interventions, about home birth thing, about vaccinations. I, I'd written on a whole range of issues, and I won't get into any of those. <laughs> but one of the things that I read, and, and the one that I've consistently repeated, because I, honestly, I can't see that I could ever possibly get in trouble with it, even though they tell me that I can. One of the things I said was that I choose to eat well, think well, move well and get regular chiropractic care in order to stay healthy. <laughs> they told me that that sentence was in breach of the advertising guidelines and that that sentence potentially lead me to a criminal prosecution for being in breach of the chiropractic advertising guidelines. Now, if that's not insane, I don't know what is. I mean, that is the most simple statement about what I choose to do. It's not advice to anyone else. No, it's not any sort of recommendation. It's a simple statement about what I choose to do. And, and that apparently is in breach of the advertising dollars because what they said was they said that that statement implied that you needed regular chiropractic care in order to stay healthy, which is actually not what I said. But they implied, they, that's what they took from what I said. And because they took that from what I said and that they think that that's not right, that they, that they then said, well, that's encouraging indiscriminate use of a, of a health service. Um, And that's what they were saying was in breach of the guidelines. Now, I mean, that's just insane. I mean, who could possibly listen to that sentence and think that should lead to a criminal prosecution in Australia?
1: Say it again. Say the sentence again.
0: It was, I choose to eat well, think well, move well and get regular chiropractic care in order to stay healthy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So can I just ask you, who's the
0: they? It's essentially APRA, yeah. It's essentially APRA. I mean, it, it ultimately, it's the Chiropractic Board of Australia who send, who decides whether that's a breach or not. Um, so it's, it's chiropractors. Um, you know, certainly different chiropractors to me, um, but chiropractors um, who ultimately decide that, but, but obviously they, they bear a lot of pressure from APRA about that. Um, and APRA and, and bear a lot of pressure from politicians, and politicians bear a lot of pressure from lobby groups like Friends of Science in Medicine and I dare say, other lobby groups related to other industries who may well profit from people not being so well. Um, and so there's a, there's a lot of pressure that comes down the chain. You know, I think that,
3: that. It's funny oh.
1: that you say that, Brett, because I'm sitting here thinking to myself, where does the money come in? Where does money oh, yeah. This has got nothing well, to do with anybody actually saying chiropractic is good or not good, with Yeah. Medical attention is good or not good. Some fat cat somewhere is yeah. looking this for all that it's worth and they are the ones that are holding the key
3: to yeah. whether anything you know,
0: to, to be fashionable. Absolutely. Or not. Absolutely, because if you consider the fact that someone has sat down, in order to make these reports against me, someone has sat down and read all 320 articles that I at the time had on my website, You know, someone has sat down and looked at my Facebook page and scrolled through every single thing I've posted on Facebook, and I'm quite prolific on Facebook, they've posted through every single thing I've posted on Facebook dating back to 2010, to find complaints against me. Yes. Okay. And they've not just done this for me. They've done this for hundreds and thousands of other chiropractors and alternative health practitioners. If you, if you just sit down and think about the amount of man hours that would be required to do that and think well, who's, who's paying this person? You know, how is this person making a living? You know, how does this person have that many free hours hmm. be sitting down in front of a computer doing this? It's really racist some questions, doesn't it?
1: somebody's making money somewhere and you know this podcast even though we've reached the end of it now this this podcast has been a real eye-opener in a lot of different areas I think you know mm-hmm. if we just look at what you've spoken about today Brett in 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 giving men some permission to be sensitive and to mm-hmm. do their own personal journey I think it's been profound and then of course you know looking at how you've modeled for your kids and then how your your representation of who you are as a chiropractor is continuing to model for the community. I think that you're an outstanding fellow. And mm. I think that there is so much that um, our listeners can glean from the hour that we've spent with you. And no doubt, there's just still so much more that we could talk about and so many more questions. It's just it, you know, like it's a never-ending journey of exploration, isn't it? And, and we yeah. adore you and we love being part <laughs> of the whole journey with you. And we're very excited to have the exceptional, beautiful Steph as a part of our world. Unbelievable. <laughs> She's the most divine human being. We adore her as well. So thank well, you. Me, me too, Kimmy.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> we, we figured that one, Brett. <laughs> and I, yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> that, that really it's subtle, here, hasn't it? Like, amazing thing <laughs> about her was her smile. Yeah. Then Cindy yeah. sent us a little note saying, a satisfied smile.
3: <laughs> <laughs> cool. oh,
0: not bad. sure <laughs> where to go with that one.
3: <laughs> oh, thank
1: you for, for sitting an hour in a in a restaurant that we wouldn't call a restaurant. So thank you for doing that for, for a chat
0: oh, My absolute pleasure.
1: So, for all of our listeners, hopefully, you where can they get hold of Brett?
0: Oh, where can they get hold of you, buddy? Yeah, absolutely. So, the, the best spot to get hold of me is, is on my website, which is drbrethill.com. Um, you can find out all the information there about my ebooks. Um, I've got a couple of exciting um, e courses coming up really soon, um, my wellness coaching. Um, so, you can find out all that information by going to drbretthill.com. And obviously the podcast, you know, that paleo show in the Wellness Guys, they can find on the Wellness Couch along with Up for a Chat and all the other, I think, 22 amazing podcasts we've got now. So they can find out each more information there as well.
3: Fantastic. Awesome. So all of our listeners, hopefully you've absolutely loved getting
1: up close and personal with our beautiful Brett Hill, our gorgeous caveman, Spunky Bum. <laughs> he does have a great butt. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is just you know, our Steph. Steph, okay. Steph's been listening the whole way, sitting right there. Steph, Steph, give us a rating uh, of of caveman bread. Maybe a <laughs> hundred. Oh,
3: that's all we want. <laughs> yeah. <Yay-hoo! laughs> So for all of our listeners, go to our
1: Facebook page at all the W's.face.com forward slash up for a chat. You can post your comments and your questions about today's podcast right there. You can also go to all the W's. all the wellness couch, The wellness Couch, I'm off. I'm, I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm it was
3: this
1: spunky bum that got me, wasn't it? <laughs> all the com forward slash up for a chat. Now, don't forget, guys, you need to start to give us a little bit of um, an insight as to whether you want to join us when we go on our trip to Africa. Now, we mm-hmm. have got a website which is all the W's.awaken the change within.com. Mm-hmm. So, if you go to that website, all the W's.awaken the change You'll find all of the information right there on how you can join us on our trip to Africa in 2018. We also have a trip to New Zealand in 2017 at the end of the year. But I actually do think that we've almost sold out of that trip. So if you're thinking about it, don't delay. Now's the time to get yourself booked in and get onto a payment plan that becomes easy for you to join us on our trekking holidays. So join us here next week on. We we could do with a chiropractor and a photographer, actually.
3: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) welcome.
1: Subtle hints not so subtle. (laughs) Join us here next week on Upbridge Chat and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. We'll see you on the ride, everybody.